We're heading to Exodus 33 this morning. I'm taking a little bit of a detour from our uh, series in 1 Peter. This passage in Exodus 33, I think, is probably to many of us quite a familiar passage. And it's often one that's used to unpack the importance of the presence of God in our lives. And today what I'd like to do is I'd like to spend time again looking at this passage of Scripture in the context of a message and an invitation that I feel is on the heart of the Lord for us now in this season. Um, I have to be honest with you, a lot of the unfolding of this word has been an experiential thing for me this week. I I don't know if the rest of you find this, but I sometimes find that things when you're experiencing things with the Lord, that sometimes that's a little bit tricky to give expression to in words. Um, But I'm hopeful that with the Holy Spirit's help and in spite of me, that the Lord will speak to our hearts this morning. around what it is that he wants to say to us as his people. So I just thought that I'd start by giving you a little bit of background. We're going to start, we're going to read from verse 12, but I just want to give you a little bit of background um, to this passage. Um, There's been a fair bit of water under the bridge with the people of Israel by this point. They're in the wilderness. They've seen pretty incredible miracles They've also had some fairly major stuff-ups. And so they've made the golden calf by this point. And God basically says to Moses, this is the Catherine paraphrase, but he says, look, I will send an angel with you. And he's repeating something that he has said to Moses previously. I will send an angel ahead of you. I will deal with all the ites. I'll get rid of all the enemy. But I will not, my presence will not go with you. And he explains to Moses, lest I consume you or basically to avoid his holiness, destroying them in their sinfulness. We're also given background into Moses' custom of setting up a tent of meeting outside the camp. Um, This is in stark contrast to the tabernacle plans that God has already given to Moses by this point, which is meant to be a place established for the presence of God to dwell amongst his people. But the tent of meeting is set up right outside of the camp as a contrast to that. And we're told in particular that when Moses goes into the tent of meeting, the people would stand to their feet and watch from their own doors, from a distance, from the doors of their tents, that is. And they would know when Moses was meeting with God because the pillar of cloud would come to stand outside the tent. And at that point, they would rise up and they would worship in their own tents. And again, we have this contrast here of this people who are at a distance from God. They observe him from a distance compared to Moses, who we read spoke face-to-face with God. And it's during one of these face-to-face encounters with the Lord that we're going to pick up the story. So we're going to read from verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name and you have found favour in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favour in your sight, 
Show me now your ways that I may know you in order to find favour in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, this is God, he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said, this is now Moses, there's a lot of he said, he said. He said to him, if your presence will not go with me, Do not bring us up from here, for how shall it be known that I have found favour in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing you have spoken, I will do, for you have found favour in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Moses is a man who already has face-to-face meetings with God. He already has incredible encounters with the Lord. But he asks, if I have found favour in your sight, please show me your ways that I may know you. If you're somebody who underlines in your Bible and it's not already underlined, you might like to underline that phrase. Show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favour in your sight. This man already has intimate communion with God. He has seen miracles and signs and wonders unlike anything we will ever see. But he asks to know him more. There is always more to know and experience of who God is. And God responds to Moses' hunger and desire to know him more. God actually always responds to genuine hunger. In fact, he is attracted to our hungry seeking. Psalm 107 verse 9 says, For he satisfies the longing soul, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. So God's response to Moses is, My presence will go with you. I'll give you rest. The implication being, it is in my presence that you will know me. Remember, Moses has asked, show me your presence that I may know you more. And God's response is, my presence will go with you. So in other words, it's in my presence that you will know me more. Rather than by knowing me through the statutes and the laws or by observing my actions from afar like the people of Israel do. You will know me in my presence. 
Psalm 103 verse 7 says this. It says, he, meaning God, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. There is a difference between knowing his ways and simply observing his actions. And Moses is in such pursuit of the presence of God in his life that at this point, he is willing to forsake the promised land. Remember, they have been journeying for quite some time. There has been, as I said, a lot of water under the bridge by this point. And yet Moses is so hungry for God himself and the pursuit of the presence of God in his life that he says, if you are not coming with us, we will stay in the wilderness because I would rather be in your presence than have the promised land. He is pursuing knowing God, not merely pursuing him for his actions. And in fact, Moses doesn't stop there, does he? He says, show me your glory, the weightiness of his presence. And God agrees. He says, I will make my goodness pass before you but you can't see my face. Basically, in your sinfulness, you cannot handle seeing the full weight of my goodness. It will kill you. And so what what God sets up for Moses, he says this. He says, there is a place by me where you will stand on the rock. Who is the rock that we stand upon? Jesus, the chief cornerstone. So there is a place by me that you will stand on a rock And I'll cover you. Who are we covered by? Jesus. You will see as much of my goodness as you can handle without killing you from behind. But you will not see my face. Interestingly, that word for face is actually the same Hebrew word as they use for presence. Or more accurately, there's actually the word for presence is face. It's parname in the Hebrew. And how do we recognize people most often? By their face. In fact, if you've ever watched a young baby just study the face of his or her parents, I mean, that he, he's take, or she is taking in all the information about those close to them. So there's something very intimate, isn't there, about the face. This interaction between God and Moses actually would imply that his presence is revealed to us by degrees. Because he's already said, my presence will go with you, remembering they're the same word. But you cannot behold my face or the fullness of my presence. So this would imply that his presence is revealed to us by degrees. And I think all of us would even find that in our experiences, that, that it's re- he is revealed to us in different ways and in varying degrees in our life. Now, of course, God is omnipresent, meaning that he is all present. He is everywhere. Psalm 139 says that we cannot flee. There's not anywhere we can flee from his presence. But there are times when God's presence becomes experiential. And we describe these experiences as God's manifest presence. And what manifest means is it means to be unveiled or revealed. So though God is always present in every place, 
his presence is not always evident to us. Another way to put it is that God is here, even, sorry, that when, even when God is here, we are not, or he is here, sorry, even when we are not wholly aware of it. So he is here even when we are not wholly aware of it. But he is manifest only when and as we are aware of his presence. And he is forever seeking to make himself manifest or revealed to us. And it's this manifest presence of God that Moses is seeking in order to know him more. Moses is pursuing one thing and one thing only, to know God, to seek him just for himself. He hasn't asked many questions. He hasn't come with a long prayer list um, of needs or even begged God to change his mind. He has simply expressed his hunger for God. So let's have a look at that encounter, which is recorded in Exodus 34. And we're just going to read verses 5 to 9. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found favour in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. The very thing that Moses first asks for, show me your ways that I may know you, is revealed in this encounter as God declares his name, and his character, he reveals his holiness and his very self. And Moses' response to God's presence as he reveals himself is reverence and awe. He bowed his head to the ground and worshipped. This is the only true response when we encounter the goodness and the presence of God. And so starts this hunger cycle. We hunger for God for himself. He is attracted to our hunger, bringing a deeper encounter with his presence and goodness. Then we have this response to his goodness and his um, presence in our life, in reverence and awe, which then leads to more hunger, which attracts the presence of God. So then we experience a deeper encounter of his presence. We fall into more awe and wonder and reverence and we become more hungry. Because once you've tasted and seen, it is never enough. And our cry will then always be, more, Lord. 
As a church, we place high value on the manifest presence of God in our lives individually and as a congregation. We have over the years received many testimonies of people who the first time that they walk into the building have described what to them because they didn't know what the presence of God felt like. They said, it just feels like coming home. I feel like I'm at home. We've had other people who've just been so overwhelmed with a sense of joy or even overcome with tears. That is the manifest presence of God. We've also heard stories of people who've been driving past and didn't, were not aware that there was a church here, but have felt drawn to come. I had my own encounter with the Lord driving out to church on Friday. I dropped the girls off at church. I'm um, church, I, at school. <laughs> I dropped the girls at school and I was on my way out to church. And I had some worship music playing in the car, but as I was driving down the Monera Highway and just exiting off the ramp, I just suddenly became more aware of the Lord's manifest presence in the car. And my, my body began to respond to his presence and I pulled up at the traffic lights and I sort of said, Lord, I've actually got to be able to drive the car safely. Anyway, I did and I got to the car park and I actually sat in the car for a while just as the weightiness of his presence rested on me um, and made sure that I could actually walk in. And I asked the Lord, what was that about? Because for me, it came out of the blue, to be honest. I, I was driving the car to come to work. And he said to me that it was prophetic. And so I want to declare over us this morning what he said to me, which is that there will be increasing encounters with the manifest presence of our Lord God both as people here, but also as people are driving past. I began to experience his presence way before I got to the church. And I believe that we're coming into a time and a season where we will again experience the weightiness of his manifest presence in our midst as we pursue him. We most certainly as a people don't want to contain his manifest presence and keep him to ourselves. We, it is our desire for his presence to flow out into our communities, into our neighbourhoods, that he may be made known. As humans, we are designed to be in his presence. That's how he designed us to be. And according to scripture in his presence, we find fullness of joy we find rest, we find refreshing and renewal of our strength, we find trust, transformation and renewed perspective, just to mention a few. But more importantly, in his manifest, revealed and unveiled presence, we come to know him more. At the beginning of this year, the Lord said to me, be willing to tarry in my presence. There are, of course, many applications in our life for waiting upon the Lord, but this was quite specific. Be willing to tarry in my presence. And this was certainly an invitation for me personally. But I also want to declare to us this morning that this is an, in, an invitation and an instruction to us as a church. 
be willing to tarry in my presence. Tarry is a rather old-fashioned word. It's kind of up there with Martin's use of the word frocks a couple of weeks ago. But what it means is to stay, to continue, to abide, to my favourite, to linger, to stay or wait in expectancy. When Justin and I first got married, it took me quite a while to get used to telephone conversations with his dad, my father-in-law. You see, for Bob, a phone call was simply a way of conveying the necessary information. And as soon as that mission was accomplished, he hung up. And I cannot count the number of times that I would be chattily carrying on the conversation and then realise that he wasn't there anymore because he'd hung up. And I don't, I don't do that. I love my father-in-law. He's a wonderful man. But for him, it was just the business end of the call. But it got me thinking. I was thinking about this this week as I was preparing. How many times have I missed encounters with my heavenly father because I've hung up once the information I wanted to give him was conveyed? Or, more brutally, honestly, I wonder how many times I've just simply sent him a text rather than even making the call. A.W. Tozer in The Pursuit of God says this, We now demand glamour and fast-flowing dramatic action. A generation of Christians reared among push-button and automatic machines is impatient of slower and less direct methods of reaching their goals. We have been trying to apply machinage methods to our relationship with God. We read our chapter, have our short devotions and rush away, hoping to make up for our deep inward bankruptcy by attending another gospel meeting or listening to another thrilling story told by a religious adventurer lately returned from afar. It will require a determined heart and more than a little courage to wrench ourselves loose from the grip of our times and return to biblical ways. This was written in 1948. How much more so does this describe our generation? We are an impatient, distractible people. I am an impatient, distractible person. James 4.8 is a common passage that we quote when sharing on a message like this. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This is truth. But one aspect that I have oftentimes overlooked is that this verse is right in the middle of a stern warning against worldliness and distraction. So I challenge you this week to read it but be prepared to be provoked, because I certainly was. Tozer made this statement about his observations of the hero of the faith that I think is worth sharing in this context today. He says, I venture to suggest that one quality they, that's the heroes of the faith, had in common was spiritual receptivity. 
Something in them was open to heaven, something which urged them Godward. They differed from the average person in that when they felt the inward longing, they did something about it. They acquired the lifelong habit of spiritual response. They were not disobedient to the heavenly vision. As David put it neatly, When thou sayest, Seek ye my face, my heart said unto thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Lingering or tarrying in the presence of God, by definition, cannot be rushed. And it requires spiritual responsiveness, obedience, humility and dependence. We can expect to enjoy the abiding presence of God in all aspects of our life in the midst of the day to day. But this is only cultivated to the degree by which we are prepared to tarry in his presence, to posture ourselves before him intentionally, drawing aside from our day-to-day life and tarrying with him to seek to know him. He needs more than our text messages or our quick phone calls to convey a piece of information. Many here today would testify to hours of carpet time on their faces before the Lord, leading up to and during renewal. That is one of the heritages that we have as a church. But we actually can't just rest on that as a heritage. And I feel that again, the Lord is challenging us at the moment. Be willing to tarry in my presence I think the thing that has struck me the most about my recent meditations on this Exodus passage is that whilst Moses enjoyed this incredible abiding relationship with God and received clear leading in his role as the leader of Israel, he did not simply settle for that. Moses placed higher value on seeking God's presence to know him, to have his heart aligned with God's heart than on what God could do for him. He was thirsty for God himself. It is a good thing for us to tarry in his presence for breakthrough, for healing, to receive power from on high. But will you also make room to tarry just for him, to know him more, not to simply observe his actions, but to know his ways? I think a question that we have to ask ourselves is, do we thirst? It's a question I've been asking myself. Do we thirst and long for his presence, to know him and to be transformed, to allow our hearts to be aligned with his heart? Is there a place in your life seeking him just for him, with no agenda, no prayer list and less time restraint? Because this is what it means to seek his face. One of the things that I've been saying to the Lord this week is, I don't want to bow out. I want to bow low in the presence of our King. I want to know him, to recognise him and his ways. To sing with the modern day psalmist who says, let my heart want for nothing but you. 
So what does this look like for you? How and when will you cultivate a practice of tarrying in his presence to know him more? I'm reluctant to tell you how and when because I feel like it looks different for all of us. But for me, I've found some worship songs recently that really express my heart and my hunger for him. I've been reading Psalms like Psalm 63 that I read out um, after worship today that again just put words on what it is that I'm hungering for. I've positioned myself physically before him and I've expressed my heart to him in my own words and I've gathered together with others to tarry with, with them in his presence. Sometimes I've strongly experienced his presence and sometimes not. I've also missed opportunities, been distracted, fallen asleep, but I am determined to learn to linger longer. So if I can just invite Adam and Andrew up, if that's okay. I felt like we couldn't really have a message like this today without providing some opportunity to linger longer. And so this morning we're going to make time right now together to tarry in his presence to posture ourselves before him and to seek him for him. So I'm just going to give you the invitation. You are welcome to spread out. You're welcome to stay in your seats. You're welcome to come and grab some cushions and lay out. You can come and kneel, however you would like to posture yourself. But this is a physical posturing to display a posturing of our hearts before him this morning. We are not going to rush away this morning. We are just going to learn to linger. That we declare to the Lord, when you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your, heart, your face, Lord, I will seek. Your face, Lord, I will seek. That, Father, if we have found favour in your sight, Please show us your ways that we may know you in order to find favour in your sight. Our heart's cry this morning, Lord, is align our hearts with your heart, God. We want to know you. We want to thirst for you.
There's nothing worth more I could ever come close Nothing can compare You're our living hope Your presence, Lord I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves Where my heart becomes free And my shame is undone In your presence, Lord Holy Spirit, you are welcome Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for To be overcome by your presence, Lord Your presence nothing worth more that could ever come close nothing can compare you're our living hope your presence Lord I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves Where my heart becomes free And my shame is undone In your presence, Lord Come, Holy Spirit Holy Spirit, you are welcome Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for To be overcome by Your presence, Lord Holy Spirit, You are welcome Come flood this place and fill the atmosphere Your glory, God, is what our hearts long for To be overcome by Your presence, Lord Your presence For your presence, Lord. Let us become more aware of your presence. Let us experience. 
the glory of your goodness let us become more aware of your presence let us experience the glory of your goodness let us become more aware of your presence let us experience the glory of your goodness let us become more aware of your presence let us experience the glory of your goodness and fill the atmosphere your glory God is what our hearts long for to be overcome by your presence Lord your presence
I don't want you to feel like you have to rush away this morning, but I am aware that some people will have commitments that you need to, to get to. So I'll just close the service now, but if you would like to linger longer, that invitation is there for you this morning. So Father, we thank you. We just thank you. How good you are. It is our desire this week, Lord, to learn to linger. To respond to your invitation to us individually, but also as a church. We come to you in our dependence and our humility and ask that you would help us.